All right. Good morning. I'm going to run right into what I wanted to do, what the Lord put on my heart this week. And we launched last week with a series called Walk With Me, and it's about following the Lord. And it's very much on my heart just to follow me that Jesus said, follow me. And I see such a confusion uh, in God's people uh, of what must I do? You know, what does it mean to be a Christian in today's world? And what must I do? And what does it actually mean to follow the Lord? And and all of that. And so when we talk about following the Lord, we talk about the call of God. And He calls us. The Bible said He called His disciples. He calls us. And the call of God, what is it? You know, it's like people get like, and I did that funny thing last week where they put all the reverb in the, the call. You know, it's like a super weird thing, the call of God. But actually, it's just His beckoning to you. Follow me. Come with me. Come walk with me. You know, I want to take you where you will not go without me. And he changes you. He, he drastically changes you. And it's a, it's, he calls you to follow. He calls us to follow. He calls us to feed. And he calls us to friendship. And we think often in our mind, especially in the West, but in our human mind, in, our, in, in the wisdom of the world and the way that we've been taught, we think, you know, it's like stepping stones. He calls us to follow him. And then we learn little lessons. And then we're good little followers and then when we're good enough and we've learned enough, then he says, okay, now I want you to feed my people. And, and when we're good at that, then he says, you know, I want to be your friend. You know, he called people friends in the Bible. You realize that? He said, Abraham, my friend. It staggers my mind when I think of that. You know, there's one time in Scripture where he was talking to Moses. You know, Abraham changed God's mind. Moses changed God's mind. I mean, think about that. Moses, he said to Moses, I'm going to, you know, we're going to kill all these people. We're going to start again with you. I'll make you a great nation. And Moses says, no, no, that's not a good idea. So, and I mean, I'm being facetious on, obviously, obviously the Lord is still the Lord and the king. But the Lord said, Moses says, Lord, I, these are your people. And what will the nation say if we do this? And he just, he has a, he's brought into the secret council of God in heaven. And he was a man who killed someone. Hello? Yeah? He murdered someone. And he's brought into the secret council of God in heaven. And the Lord said, you know, I've pardoned them according to your word. Think about that. We always, it's according to his word. The Lord said, I've pardoned them according to your word, Moses. It's in the Bible. There's a place of friendship with the Lord. And so we think it's like stepping stones. But he calls you to all of them all at once. And he calls every single one of you. All at once. So we're going to look at that this morning. I'm going to just quickly recap a little bit from last week. The call of God, people think of it as vocation and a vocational ministry or what I do in the church. And we have life A, you know, church life, and then we have life B. That, that is, there is no language like that in the Bible. None. It's just your life. And we think of the call of God as a destination. You know, God's calling me so that I can one day be this. No, the call of God is the journey. It is the walk. You go with the Lord. That is the exciting part. It's, you know, through all the, excuse the phrase, but the hell on earth that you may go through. And through all the stuff that happens, it's the call remains with you. Because it's the fact that he's with you. You know, I saw that funny, you know, that with the footprints in the sand and, you know, it's so sweet. And I heard a joke about it when he says, you know, 
when you only see one set of footprints, we say, why'd you leave me, Lord? He said, no, I carried you. And then I saw another guy, he says, and you see those long two stripes there? That's where I dragged you. And it's, it's, it's like that, you know, sometimes it's, he drags you through things. But it's the, you get to do it with him. And so there's a, there's a shift in our mindset that I see God is wanting to bring to his people. And I, I'm trusting, I'm really trusting that some of that will start today. Because when we start to embrace the call of God as it is in Scripture, you're living in it now. You're living in it now. And He's always calling, saying, come further, come further, come further. Always. Always. And the call, it's not a person, a pastor, it's not that. Uh, I said it last week, the call comes to change you, not what you do. So go after Him. Don't go after your call. People say, oh, I wonder what's the call of God in my life? Go after him. The Bible says when he called the disciples, they went after him. It actually says that. It says they went after him. In the letter, it says he called them to be with him. That's the call, to be with him, to go after him. So people say, okay, well, you know, I know what you mean, Clay, but like my, you know, my call. <laughs> like, yep, yeah, I will say the same thing. But to give you some help, you know, faithfulness and serving is the kingdom way of bringing clarity to a more specific call for your life. The call of God to you is what you're in now, but it will start broad and get very narrow. It's that you don't start in sniper school. You start by learning how to shoot multiple weapons. Yeah? Yeah? Guy, is that correct? Guy, guy shoots, great. Wonderful. We went shooting as an eldership team last week, Sunday after church. We went to a gun range and went shooting for fun. And you must see my wife shoot a 12-gauge shotgun. Uh, she had never done it before, and I was like, whoa. I, so I know, you know, scariness. But faithfulness and serving assist in bringing clarity to a more specific call. The call of God is not something you search for. It comes to you. Please hear me. It comes to you. Give you an example. Moses. The call of God. This is when the call of God, in a sense, came to these people more specific. They were already part of God's covenanted people. It's like the Israelites. The, they were Jews. They were Hebrew, whatever you want to call them. They were already in the covenant, so they saved, in a sense. And then the more specific call comes as they were serving, as they were faithful. See, Moses was serving his father-in-law, looking after his father-in-law Jethro's sheep. Gideon was serving in his father's wine press. Samuel was serving with menial things in the temple. Elisha was called when actually serving in his father's field. He was plowing with 12 sets of oxen, which means he was enormously wealthy. And yet he was still in the field. Still serving. There's ownership there. And David was called, shepherding his father's sheep. Peter, James, and John in their father's business. It's all through the Bible. The call of God came to people when they were serving and being faithful with someone else's things and someone else's kingdom and someone else's house. It's just a kingdom way. But people say, well, what about me? Well, Jesus never, ever, please hear me, Jesus never labeled the people he called. In the Old Testament, yes, you're a prophet, or, but the disciples, he just said, follow me. And you're going to be this, and you're going to be this. That's Western mind thought thinking. <laughs> he just said, you, follow me. And he says, when you follow me, I will make you. And when I make you, you will become something. And you will become very different to who you are now. Amen? 
So what he does is he takes us through testings to reveal. And today, if you know me at all, I love to read Scripture. We normally read large portions of Scripture. I just want to speak from my heart today. And so if we don't get into as much Scripture, I mean, I'll quote a lot of Scripture, but if you're visiting with us, that may be a concern to you. Do not let it be so. The Lord will take us through testings, and He does this often, and when he, he does it so that we can see what we have and we can see what we already carry. And it's not testings, you know, to prove that we're failures or to prove that we're wrong or not good enough. That's a Western mindset. That's not the Father that we serve. It just is not. Can we agree on that? Some of you don't believe it. It's true. And it's interesting to me, whenever the Lord took them through testings, they were not testings of morality or character. They were testings of faith. A little while ago, I taught on seeds and the sower, and I don't know, about a month ago, and I said this, and I want to repeat it, and it's going to come up behind me. Jesus spent three years, obviously, with his disciples, teaching them enormous and vast amounts of things, but primarily, he kept coming back to these three issues over and over and over. He taught them about the kingdom, how to see things with the eyes and the ears of your heart, and he taught them that they need revelation. They need to get revelation. Constantly came back to those three things. The kingdom, the kingdom. If a person was reading the, just the Gospels, the New Testament, and Jesus' words, and they say, what did this man come to teach? And they read it from a scholarly point of view. The conclusion they would come to is that he keeps, if they had no concept of the, of the kingdom of God and the dominion of the enemy and earth and none of that, they would say, he's constantly talking about the place that he's from. My kingdom is like this. My kingdom is like this. The kingdom is like this. The kingdom, come to my kingdom. My, the last 40 days he spent on earth, it says he spent the last 40 days after he was resurrected speaking about things pertaining to the kingdom. It's constantly, what's this kingdom? Always kingdom, kingdom. And it means the dominion of the king, the expansion of God. And that's why he taught them how to see things with the eyes and the ears of their heart. You know what is the most repeated phrase by Jesus by far, is he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's the most repeated phrase. He's saying hear with kingdom ears. The, most, the word that Jesus said the most, by far, is the word hear. Hear. Can you hear? He says, forever they are hearing but not understanding, seeing but not perceiving. And whenever he would take the disciples into something of a test, and it's not just miracles, friends, it's your life. He would say, do you not see? Are you so dull? <laughs> Imagine he was your pastor. He's preaching and he's saying, are you still so dull? That's what he did with them. I mean, I would be like, well, buddy, you know. But that's what he did. He said, come on, there's a kingdom it's over there. My kingdom is not of this world. And he's constantly about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. So, when Jesus took them through testings in Matthew 8, we see it, we touched on it last week briefly. People ask Jesus, I'll follow you. Scribes says, I'll follow you. He says, foxes don't have holes and birds have net, you know, you're going to lose your comforts. And so the guy leaves and another one says, oh, no, I'll follow you. And they, they walk away from the Lord, but the disciples go with him in the boat, and as they go off in Matthew chapter 8, they go into a storm, and it's actually like a hurricane. It's like a white squall. I think the King James says it's a squall, and it's, a, it's like a hurricane. It's not a little thunderstorm. It's extreme. And they come to Jesus, and they wake him up. They say, Lord, you know, he's sleeping, 
And sometimes we feel like that, Lord, I'm in a storm in my life and it's like you're asleep. You know, and sometimes we feel like that. They say, Lord, don't you, they wake him, don't you care that we are perishing? And he was surprised that they woke him up. You see, because in our mind, we think, you know, we often hear people, like, oh, Lord, we need breakthrough. We need, oh, Lord, we need oh, breakthrough and whatever, in life and family, marriage, job, career, what, we need breakthrough, Lord. I'm overwhelmed, Lord, I need breakthrough. And, you know, it's like a never-ending test, it feels like to some people. But biblically, even with Jesus, once he, the Holy Spirit came upon him, he went into the desert to be tested because he had already received what he needed to overcome what he faced. It's always like that, friends. And we don't like that because we want someone to just remove the, I don't like this what's in front of me, so just someone take it out of the way. And I mean with this, this all the love in my heart, a child thinks like that. And what he's trying to say is with them, he says, why'd you wake me? I said we're going to the other side. One of you known that I've said something that hasn't happened? Because in his heart, he knew that they were already equipped to deal with what they were facing. They couldn't see it though. So he would allow them to go through tests to let them see what they already have. <laughs> what they have already inside. And it's not... It's not storms that, please hear me, it's not storms that come from just doing whatever you want and consequences of life. It's storms when you followed him into something. They got in the boat with him. They, they were obedient. I've, friends, I've done it. I've been obedient. Lord tells me something very specifically through people, through the word. I just know it's the Lord or he speaks to me and I hear. So I do something and it causes a mess. And I'm like, hey, hey, look, hey, look. It's like, oh, I know, well done. Now, I, I don't feel well done. I feel well done like a steak. And why? Because he's saying, I want you to see what you carry. Very important. What blinded them? Why could they not see? What did they say? Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? The way they saw, the way they believed that God saw them. Actually, I'm going to read it, I think. They had not seen the value they carried in his eyes. They felt abandoned, rejected. And this was what robbed them of discovering what they carry. And you will see that over and over. They couldn't see themselves the way he saw them. That's a big deal. The perspective on how God sees us is important. It's important. That's important. So, today I want to continue and just speak to you a little bit about the relational and missional side of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to be speaking to you about the kingdom. Can we all shout the word kingdom? Kingdom! So well timed, you guys are awesome. When we are saved, the Bible says we are conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of His love, Colossians 1. And that word conveyed actually means translated. Like when Elijah or Philip was sucked out and stuck down somewhere else on the earth. I mean, it's, it's in the Bible. It's the same word. He moves you completely, every part of you, from one kingdom into the other. It's a supernatural process of regeneration that we cannot fully grasp. But when you're saved, the Bible says you're conveyed into a kingdom. You are translated, boom, into a kingdom. 
And from that point, he wants to teach you what his kingdom's like. This is what my kingdom's like. This is the place that you are a citizen of. You're a citizen of a place that you can't see, but you still live on earth. So you have to understand what my kingdom's like so that you can become who you are. So follow me. Hello? That's what happened. So when you are born again, we are conveyed into a kingdom and we become adopted into his family. That's relational. And we spend a lot of time on that, and I'll tell you why in a second. But we also become conscripted into an army. There is a war, a spiritual war, that rages around us, though you see it not. It is very real, and it is there. And you are in it. If you know it or not, you are in it. And it rages, friends, and it takes people out. Often. And it's like this from the beginning. You see the relational side. Let us create man in our own image. That's them, us. Let us create in our. There's, there's a relationship with them before we ever came into the picture. And you see the relationship they had with man in the garden before the fall came. They walked together. They spoke. The first face Eve saw was the father. The first face Adam saw was the father. There's relationship. But it doesn't take long into the relationship and the Father and starts to speak, or God starts to speak about mission. That's what he starts to speak about. Go forth, multiply, fill the earth and subdue. That word subdue, that's a military term. Yeah? It means take into bondage by force. Can we agree on that? Can we? Can you just trust me? Great. That's what it means. Because you guys are like, I don't mean, I don't know what it means. And the question is, what was outside of the garden? What was there to subdue? An unseen world. <laughs> Are you with me? I don't know. I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm with him, so I'm good. But, friends, there's a relational and there's a missional aspect. And in the New Testament, it uses the word adopted and family and household of God and sonship. That's relational. But then you have the Great Commission. There's always the relationship and the mission. It's always been like this. Now, why in FLC we, we say our heart, we, we say it, it's our vision, is to create a culture that where people can come to know God, where people know God personally, where you can learn to know God, genuinely know Him. Why? Because it's what, what he wants. It's what God wants. It's what the world needs. But why do I focus on the relationship at times more than the mission? Because I've learned something. In the garden, and, and, and just over time, I've seen how the enemy will want to destroy people's understanding of who God is, of how God sees them. That's what he wants to attack. And a, he will severely damage the relationship because it's actually what Jesus paid for. Why? Well, we see it in the garden. What did the enemy attack? Did he attack the mission or the relationship? The relationship. Did God this? And he put doubt, mistrust. He attacked the relational aspect. Why? He was not afraid of their relationship. He's actually afraid of the mission. You notice in his attack on man... He never brought up any of the mission words that Jesus, well, that God spoke. 
multiply, fill the earth and subdue. He brought up all the other stuff. He didn't bring up that. Why? Because it has the word subdue in it. And if they thought for a second, well, maybe you're what I'm supposed to subdue. Battle would have been over because the devil had no authority. Otherwise, he would have acted out of his own authority. He was there to get authority from Adam. He had none. He only has the power of agreement still to this day. Are you guys tracking with me? So he attacks the relationship because it's the relationship that is the source of your authority. It's what makes you an heir. It's what gives you authority. And so he'll attack the relationship and how God sees you and what God's like and can you trust him and he's hurting you and he's punishing you. He attacks the relationship because it decimates the mission. What he's afraid of is the mission because the mission brings his end. The relationship is both our source of authority and the empowerment for mission. And so Jesus said, follow me. The call of God, follow me and I will make you and you will become partners in my call. That's what he said. And that's why the call of God is to be with him. He said, follow me. And he called them to himself so that they could be with him. But it doesn't take long in a relationship before the conversation with, with the Lord. It won't be long into the relationship before the conversation turns to mission. It won't be long. Why? Because it, it's who he is. But if the relationship, if the relational aspect stays just relational, it will become about you. It will. That is how we're wired. It's me, my identity, my purpose, my call, my destiny. The, the church's grasp, global church, of it's about individual destiny is a Western thought. <laughs> the advancement of the kingdom is... Bible language. There is a kingdom, and there, there is a mission, friends, and there is a war, and you're in it. And Jesus' answer to all of it, you, follow me. That's his answer. So we're going to talk about the kingdom mission. Amen. Mission empowered by relationship. It is the original design of God. It's actually part of his eternal nature. Adam, go forth, multiply. Abraham, leave your country and your family and go to a land that I will show you. Moses, take them out of this place and go into the next place. Jesus, you know that that's actually partly what the transfiguration is about? I, I don't have time to get into this, but it's a beautiful truth. Who was in the transfiguration with Jesus? Who? Moses and Elijah. And I know it's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Elijah prophet, Moses law, and I understand that. But Moses was also a prophet. And it says there that they spoke of his departure. That word departure in the Greek is the word exodus. Who's he speaking to? Moses. He's saying something more than we see. He's saying, just as you, in the natural, in the physical, in the Old Testament, the physical, in the New Testament, the spiritual, just as you broke a group of people, to point to what I've come to do. You've broke them out of a place into another country. I have come and I will take people on a new exodus from this world into my kingdom. And I will do it with the spirit and power that I put upon Elijah, where I turn to the father to the children and the children to the father. 
It was actually the New Testament declaration of Christ the prophet. I won't get into it, but, you know, everything missional, disciples, <laughs> go into all the world and make disciples. Mission, mission, mission. Friends, just being around Jesus will enlarge you. It will change you. It will enlarge you. If you get around a truly apostolic person, just speaking to them, who knows what I'm talking about? You get around certain people and you feel expanded inside. That's an apostolic person. That's what it was like to be around Jesus. When you get in his presence, if it's just relational, it'll just stay you. And that's wonderful. It is. But his heart, is he wants to take you somewhere. Because you're in an army. You are in an army. You just are. It will enlarge you. The Bible says he is the great apostle. When we look at those who, who did say yes to following Jesus, please hear me. They're great people, whoever your spiritual heroes are. But it's not how great they become. It's how great is the one who can make them like that. I tell you, Jesus can build a team like no one else. Jesus can make you like no one else can. He can reshape you and form you into something that you don't think possible. For example, look at the glory of the disciples. I'm just going to throw up a list behind you. By the glory, I mean how they died. John the Baptist was beheaded. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded by Herod. That's in the, in the Bible. And in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, it actually tells you the story, the one who brought him, the one who accused him and found him and brought him. It's, it's not in the Bible, but it's in, it's in history. Was so convicted and overwhelmed because he was serving in, under Rome. He was so convicted when he stood next to James, the son of Zebedee, when he was beheaded. He was so convicted that he declared out of his own, I too am a Christian. And he bowed down next to James and got beheaded with him. People, you don't do that out of wanting to be like. You don't do that out of insecurity. Only God can do that in a person's heart. Peter was martyred in Rome. He was crucified upside down because he refused to be crucified like his Savior. Andrew was crucified and actually being brought to the cross said this, O cross, most welcome and long looked for, with a willing mind, Joyfully and desirously I come to thee, being the scholar of him who did hang on thee, because I've always been thy loved, and I have covered to embrace thee. That's what he said when they crucified Andrew. Thomas was known for going to India. It was reported, different reports, it's not clear, but he was either killed by a dart or the stabbing of multiple spears. He actually translated scripture into some of their languages. Philip went into Africa and Asia. He was crucified and then stoned. Mark the Evangelist was dragged by horses with ropes into a fire. Bartholomew, there's various accounts. But Fox's Book of Martyrs says he was skinned. James, son of Alphaeus. I mean, it, it's not pleasant. It, it, it continues. Simon the Zealot, crucified after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Matthias was burnt, stoned, so forth. John the Apostle lived and died in his old age, but he was actually boiled in oil first. And he came out of there unscathed and unharmed, much like Zadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
and they could not fathom it. And he died of old age. Only one who went to the cross with Christ. The point is, I, I don't want that for your life. And people say that's unrealistic. Friends, it's not. And it will come back. Only Jesus can make you like that. The disciples didn't have that plan for their life. What was their plan? My father, my boat, he's going to teach me how to fish, and then I'm going to be a fisherman, and then I'm going to teach my sons how to fish, and then they're going to be fishermen, and so it goes. But knowing Jesus, they traveled the known world. They went on adventures and experiences. They stood before kings. They saw entire communities reshaped, throwing demonic things. And it's in Acts 19, an entire community reshaped in a day. They saw the world. They were accused of turning the world upside down. These fishermen. Why? Because they said yes to following Jesus. It's not what the church has made it, friends. <laughs> he taught them to be kingdom people, not church people. Not church people, kingdom people of my kingdom. And only Jesus, <laughs> only Jesus can make it like that. So honorable a death to win eternal rewards where moth and rust do not destroy, as the Bible says. We can't think like that in the natural. We cannot. But Jesus will make you someone who you cannot fathom. Someone who you could never see. You cannot see who Jesus can make you. It's an impossibility. But he can make you like nobody else can. All he says is you, follow me. Friends, without the kingdom mission, we have no purpose. At a macro level, no purpose. I will raise my children, they will raise their 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 children. For what? For what? <laughs> Without the kingdom mission, there is no purpose. Jesus plugs you into a purpose that is far beyond your life. And many people are getting saved and then they become churchgoers. But God says, it's my kingdom. I need kingdom people. So, on a light note, <laughs> the kingdom and the church, and I'm going to have to continue this next week, which is fine, but in the Gospels, the word kingdom is mentioned 127 times. The word church is mentioned three times. Now, I love the church. Hello, look at what I'm doing. It's the bride of Christ. It is the focus of His affection. But we are not saved into the church. We are saved into a kingdom. We are conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of His love. We become part of the body of Christ, yes. And that's partly to teach us we're not supposed to do things on our own. But we are conveyed into a kingdom that we cannot see. And yet is where your authority lies. It's where your citizenship lies. The church is the agency through which the kingdom comes. And I know I'm going back to basics. Many of you know this stuff. But the church and the kingdom, they're not different. The church will be shaken. The world will be shaken. Kings will rise and fall. Politics will come and go. Nations come and go. The Bible says the kingdom is unshakable and will never end. That's where you're rooted. 
and the church is the agency through which the kingdom comes. Before I went into full-time ministry, I was working in a company called Integrated Agencies, and it was an agency that was for Gillette. You know Gillette? You would think I knew it better. But Gillette and Duracell and, and many other things. But what it was is we, were the, we would supply all of Gillette's products and many other you know, product lines, but Gillette's was Gillette, Oral-B, Braun, Duracell, all that stuff. And we were the agency through which their stuff came to the world. That is like the church. A biblical way to say it, and I actually won't get into this, is the church is the house of God and the gate of heaven. Can I go through this real quick? Because I want to get to the next thing. Genesis 28, Jacob, he sees, and the scriptures will come up, he sees the ladder in heaven. He falls asleep and he puts his head on a rock and he wakes and he says, oh, surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. And he calls it Bethel. Bethel, El God. The house of God, Bethel. And he says, I, I wasn't aware, but this is the house of God. Now that is the first the law first mentioned, hermeneutical principles, the first mention of the house of God. John 1, Jesus referring to that says, surely you shall see heaven, and, uh, heaven open and the angels of God descending and descending and ascending upon the Son of Man, upon Him. He said when heaven opens. When was heaven opened? When He was baptized in water. He came out of the water and the Spirit of God descended upon Him. And it says, and heaven was opened. It's never closed since then. So in the New Testament, the church, in Hebrews 3, Hebrews 10, Ephesians 2, the church is called the house of God, the gate of heaven. What is a gate? A gate is a place of transition. It's a place where I go from the sidewalk to the grass, from my driveway to my porch, whatever. It's a gate. That is what the church is. It's easier to say it's the agency because we understand that from the business world. But the church is a house. It's the house of God that's built on the edge of two worlds. It is the gate through which the kingdom comes. It is the agency through which we take this kingdom and put it into contact with other people. That's the kingdom mission. Does that make sense? Yes? Great. Wonderful. The best way to learn the ways of the kingdom, because that kingdom is not of this world. It's not like this world. And it has ways. It has values. And the best way to learn that is to actually apply the kingdom into your own life. It's not just miracles, signs, and wonders. It is that, because that's an invisible world with higher authority, and I get all of that, and I believe all of that, and you know that. But when you put the kingdom values and kingdom into your own life, it is the best way of learning what it's like so that you can then stand as an agent and show other people what it's like. That is how we become the gate of heaven. I'm going to give you one practical example of how to better understand this. And I know we're talking about follow me. But when Jesus said follow me, he spent three years teaching people, his disciples, about his kingdom. And he made and shaped them into kingdom people, not into churchgoers, into kingdom people whole different world. The best way to understand it is the word base. When we started the church, well, when my father planted this church, and many of you were here, and other calls were here, and, and many others, the word kept coming, like a prophetic word. God has called you to be a base. He, he has placed you in this, to be a base church, a base church. 
And people were like, what does that mean? And, but it came through multiple voices from different places that hadn't over and over. And when I read over the history of the church, I read that and it jumped out to me. When you say base, we all think military, right? And it's true because that's a great way to think about it. It's a base. The church is to act like a base. Now, the problem comes when well-meaning people, I've done it. It, it creeps up on us and, and I've done it. I haven't meant to, but I have. And, and it, a lot of churches are stuck with it. And, but when well-meaning people have lost their sight of actually of the kingdom and the kingdom mission, and it becomes about building the base. I'm going to build the best base with the best gun range and the best facilities and the best uniforms and the best coffee and the best looking. And I'm going to build the best base. But when the general comes into town, who is the general? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord of hosts. He's a general too. And he comes in, there's one data point he looks at, just one. How many soldiers? How many soldiers are you producing that I can send into warfare or into different parts of the earth that have learned certain things? That's the one thing he wants to know as a general. Have you taught them team? that they they're not called to do it alone. Have you taught them what it is to follow commands in a, in a world of is war, this chaos, to, to hear and to follow the commands of their commanding officer? Have you taught them to work together? Have you taught them to trust when, the, when a command doesn't make sense because of the situation you're in but you're not? Have you, have you taught them all the different functions and weapons? Are they ready to go to be part of the mission? That's what he wants to know. How many soldiers? Jesus said, I'll build the church. I'll build the base. But you seek first the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. And you follow me. It's remarkably simple. He said, you follow me and I'll make you. And who I'll make you, you could not believe if I told you but I'll build a base. I'll build a better base than you will anyway, but you follow me. You seek the kingdom. It's not of this world. People say, well, how do I do that? And the goal of the world is success, you know. Not, not, and this is, let me just say, this is a little facetious. It, it's on purpose. The next three little pictures, they're a little facetious, it's not always true, but just a picture to help understand, okay? It's about success. And you see the little chart there, see? And, and so they say, and the, the word they use is prioritize. You get books, self-help books, many, you know, boundaries and priorities and, and, and all these different things that help us build things according to how the way the world sees it. You know, there's career, family, exercise, finance, all the different parts of our life. And if you want success, you have to manage those well. And depends what age you are, who you speak to, what company you're in, who's your boss, those things will go up and down. And it's not fun. You know, but that's, you know, the world says that is how success will come. And so the church says, I have a bright idea. Next one. And that it's not always, it's not meant, but it happens unfortunately. They, they just call it stewardship. That's a more biblical word. It's, it's stewardship, which again, stewardship is a good thing. But it's put God at the top, obviously, God first, and then family and ch then church, because we had to learn that for a couple of years, 
and then, and then all the same things we call leisure rest, we call personal advancement, we call it personal growth, friendship we call communities, uh, self-care we call me time. You know, different words, same thing, okay? And so what we've done is we've just said, okay, let's add the God and let's add the things to the way the world does it. And you become burnout and exhausted, but we don't know any other way. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught something along the lines of this, the kingdom. Now, if you're a, a mathematical person, and I put question marks because it, it's not about the words. Those are just words that I kind of threw together in a couple seconds, but because you can fill in any word. People say, well, that's just a different chart. That's just a, you know, a mind map or a pie chart or a different form of the same thing. Oh, it's very different. The kingdom is the root of everything. It is, the, it is where the dominion comes from. It is your citizenship. And there are values. And there are ways of the kingdom. And when you implement this kingdom, which you cannot see, it's everything Jesus taught. When you, and when you follow him, that's what he will teach you. That's why it's a personal journey. That's why when someone else will stand up and say, the kingdom is like this, and so you try to do what God told them, which there's some truth to it, but it doesn't really work for you. And so we go back to the time management priority stewardship scale. Implement the kingdom into your heart. Family according to kingdom. Your career starts to look very different. Not only are you willing to give it up if he calls you to it, although most are not called to, they're called to stay there. It is your ministry. And, and we start to see it. And when keeping up with the Joneses is the opposite of the kingdom. And when you don't care about that anymore, Oh, you become useful. Because you will stand in a, in a place and say something that no one else will say. And if they get rid of you, they get rid of you. Because you, the whole th thing works on a trust basis. My source is him. Oh, it's a radical life change, radical shift. It is what Jesus taught. Community, all the different things. And we can maybe get into that, I guess, next week a little more. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The ways of the world are plugged into the resources of effort. Now, hard work is good. It is good. And it's healthy. And young people need to learn. Work hard. But the ways of the kingdom are plugged into an unending resource of abundance, of more than enough. Spiritual, financial, emotional, anything. It's a different way. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the truth. The truth of the world is plugged into natural law and facts. The truth of the kingdom has freedom attached to it because truth is a person. The life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The life of the world has its, is always in a state of decay. Always. Everything is temporary. Everything spoils with use. Life of his kingdom is life to the full, and it does not perish, spoil, or fade. I'll talk about kingdom values next week. I just want to say this, and I know we're out of time. The kingdom, these are not things to get right, you know, the little mind map. They're not things to get right. It's to follow. And when you follow, he will put things into your heart that you could not imagine. And I'm going to get practical, very practical next week. And they will reshape the way you see life. 
the way you see your children, the way you see your job, the way you see everything. Because he wants to create kingdom people. And some of it requires death. Die to stuff. Because of the life and freedom of the other side. <laughs> Jesus said, follow me to Peter. The first time he said, follow me to Peter, Peter fell down. He saw himself in his truest light. He fell down and said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And then he spent three years with Jesus trying to prove his way, make his way, compare his way, work hard. I will follow you anyway. He said, I'll walk on the water. I don't care if I drown. I'm with you, everything. I'm, you know, uh, you know, intense, like me, intense. Hey, Jason, tense people are good. And, and you know, Peter, yeah, I'm in. And he said, oh, Lord, I'll follow you anyway, even to death. And then he denied him three times. And so Jesus comes back to him. The angel says, tell the disciples and Peter. And he comes back and he restores him. See, the first time Jesus says, follow me, the question is, will you leave it all? And that doesn't mean what you're doing right now. It comes to change you. And that will transform into things that you put down that you're not willing to put down now. But he changes you and those things carry no interest. You follow him. But then he comes to Peter and says, follow me, second time. But the question is, do you love me? Comes to him and he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Meaning the other disciples. <laughs> do you love me more than you love them? Do you love me more than they do? That's the question. Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I do. He says, feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed. And then he says, and when you are older, people will lead you where you do not want to go. He's talking about his death. And he says, but you, follow me. Follow me, Peter. Will you follow me? After I've just showed you what you were terrified of and when you denied me was the way to die. Will you follow me now? Yes. Huh. To follow Jesus, our oh, friends, it is glorious. It's a new way of life. It's a kingdom life. It's a kingdom person. You know, and to many of you, I believe he says it today. Do you love me? Yeah, follow me. Feed my people. Because you're all feeding someone. You're all feeding someone. Yourself, your kids. You're feeding someone. You know, Josh, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my people. Devon, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my people. Because there's things you learn. <laughs> Nate, I don't even know if he's here. Chris, Kevin, do you love me? Yeah. Feed my people. Because there's things you learn when you feed. Friends, the call of God, it's, it's not a destination. It's not even about the church. It's about the kingdom. His kingdom. The king's domain and the expansion thereof. The glory of every kingdom is its territory, which we'll get into next week. To expand, he expands you. Greater and to more than you could ever imagine. You just follow him. 
just keep saying yes. Sometimes you've got to say no to people to say yes to him. Just follow him. It's profoundly simple. Follow him. Go after him. Be with him. Love him. Follow him. And he will change you. And he will make you. And only he can make you. Can we stand?